We're going to get started here, and we're going to start a new series called Letters, and I'm super excited to be able to kick this off. This is a series we're going to take a look at four different books of the New Testament, Philippians, Philemon, Colossians, and Ephesians. And, and these four books are collectively referred to as the prison letters. The Apostle Paul wrote them while he was imprisoned in Rome. The prison is most likely a house, um, not, you know, maybe thinking of prison. It's not like this typical prison you think of today. He's in a house, but he is chained 24-7 to a guard. Not the same guard. They would rotate. Um, that would be awful. Jeez. So, um, but he had a number of freedoms and that were not offered to most prisoners. And the two of those freedoms that were kind of important is he was able to write letters and he was able to receive visitors. And keep in mind, um, this is about 30 years after Jesus' resurrection. And so Paul has written um, these letters to churches that he helped start. And although Paul was writing specifically to address church needs, I mean, you can imagine Paul is writing to a specific church, and he's addressing what's happening with that church. He's, like, saying hello and, like, you know what I'm saying? But... Even still, there's very bold declarations of truth that are relevant to us today that are in his letters. And these letters serve as a guide to followers of Jesus then and followers of Jesus now about how do we live out the resurrection. And Beth may have talked about this last week at Easter, and it's like, Jesus is risen from the dead. Hallelujah, praise God. And he is alive today. And what does that mean for our lives? How do we live that out? And I think um, this series following Easter is perfect to look at these letters on how to do that. Today, specifically, we're going to be looking at Philippians. Philippians is such a happy and encouraging book, okay? So you picked the right time to be here, to be at church. I picked the right time to to come up here and speak because this is awesome. Um, This letter specifically highlights the joy that Paul has in living out God's call in his life Um, And he endured all this suffering, yet he's still so full of joy. And in life, I think we can relate. We sometimes find ourselves in situations that we don't want to be in. As followers of Jesus, we sometimes end up in places we would rather not be. We all have this certain idea of how our life is going to go. We dream, we hope, we make our plans. I'm a planner. I make plans. But sometimes, despite our best efforts, we end up in situations that we don't want to be in. When I was a kid, I played soccer. I played soccer since I was like six, okay? And I played, I had this really great coach. I played for him for like a long time, maybe eight years, which is kind of rare. Typically, like you're switching teams all the time, coaches leave. But I had the same coach for eight years. And then one day, he was like, Man, you're, you're too good for this team. I'm not bragging because this wasn't that great of a team. He just said, you're too good for this team. You should, you should try out for, for a better team or whatever. So me and his son, actually, we tried out for this team that was much higher level, um, cost a lot of money, my mom told me. Um, tried out for this team and super excited, got all these hopes and dreams about this team. And, you know, I show up to tryouts and there's so many people there. You're like, no way, it's going to be me. But then I make the team. Okay, and I'm on top of the world. I'm in middle school or something. I'm approaching high school and I'm thinking, oh, man, like I'm going to get really good. I'm going to play high school. I'm going to be like an MLS player, which is even not that great. But I'm going to be playing Europe. I don't know. 
you know, you have like these huge dreams as a kid, right? And so um, I make the team, and we do all these practices. I hate practice, but it's all for the games, all for the games. We get to the games, I don't get to play. The first time in my life, right? It's like, you know, you play on, I'm playing on the team in the rec league, and I'm playing all the time, and I'm like the best player in the team, whatever, winning championships. And then I get on this team, and I don't even get to play. I'm a, I'm a bench player. And I'm like, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, I was so excited for this, had all these hopes and dreams. I thought it would go a certain way. And I'm like, no, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I signed up for. And sometimes our hopes and dreams don't play out the way we thought. We plan to be in the starting lineup, but we end up on the bench. We hope and plan for the best, for the ideal. We don't put ourselves in these situations on purpose. I, I didn't sign up for the team. I didn't try out for the team thinking, yeah, I'm going to sit the bench and never play. You know, and I didn't have the right attitude. I mean, I'm not, you know, bench, you, those players are very vital, but I, that wasn't my view of what it meant to, to have you know, success and um, fun on that team. That's not what I had in mind. And we all end up in these situations that we don't want to be in. I, so I lead the young adults ministry, right? And um, it's pretty new, honestly. I mean, it just started in January. So there's a lot of new folks, um, and there's a lot of new people who don't know Jesus who have come to know Jesus in the last few months, which is awesome. Um, and, I'm, you know, I'm talking to, talking to them, and... Um, trying to encourage them. And they say, Josh, so, you know, I got baptized a few months, a few months ago, and, and Jesus changed my life, but I still have problems. Like, life is still not great all the time, you know? And, and I'm thinking about it. Like, I grew up in a church, you know, and, and, I, and I really started to own my faith in high school, and um, I understand kind of that, you know, um, we're not on fire for Jesus all the time. Doesn't mean that our problems all go away, whatever. And so just, it kind of reminded me that like, um, our problems don't go away. And that those of us that have been following Jesus for any length of time, we know that living out God's calling on our lives doesn't always lead us to the places or situations we had envisioned. Living out God's calling on our lives doesn't always lead us to the places or situations that we had envisioned. Our vision of what it looks like to live out our gifts, our talents, our abilities for Jesus doesn't always line up for God with God's vision. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy, though, isn't it, though? What we have in mind is not always what God has in mind. We envision our lives, even as followers of Jesus, we often... Um, we envision places and things and situations that we want to be in. You envision your life with a certain career, a successful career, one that's meaningful. You get paid a lot of money, but it's super meaningful job, right? It's like the best work environment ever. I mean, who would ever want to have a bad boss? Like, you don't, you know, hope and dream of your career one day. Like, I want to have the worst boss possible that doesn't appreciate me, who, even when I try my absolute best, they don't understand, like... Come on, right? Or you have like the worst coworkers. Like no one is thinking that, like when you're dreaming of your career. But we'll end up in those situations. We end up all the time in those. Maybe it's a, um, you know, family, right? You have your certain idea of how you think family should be um, or how you, you want your one family to one day be because your family growing up wasn't that great or whatever. And you finally get there and you're like, 
man, this isn't what I thought. Like, this isn't what I thought it would be. Or living in a specific location. I have a friend who was called to be a pastor at a church in Hawaii, right? And I'm like, man, why couldn't that be me? (laughs) Hawaii, come on, let's go. All right, church on the beach, come on, I'm ready. You know, so, you know, it's like, why couldn't that be me? We, we say that. Like, we know better. We tell God, like, God, look, I know that you're God. You know everything. You're in control. You see things I can't see. But, like, come on, God, let's talk for a second. Like, I deserve, the, you know, to do the church on the beach, you know? Like, don't, don't stick me, you know, somewhere else. And so, you know, we say I deserve it or, you know, and then we don't get that. And um, it's, it's, it's kind of not great, right? Like, we start to blame people. We get um, just kind of down about our situation. And we realize that our calling in life doesn't always line up and lead to the places where we thought they would. And um, we end up in situations that we don't want to be in. We get angry. We lose our joy. We lose our hope. We ask ourselves, how did we, how do we find ourselves in this situation? And here's some questions that I want to tackle today. How do we hope when we find ourselves in hopeless situations? How do we find joy in the midst of depressing circumstances? How do we find meaning in what oftentimes seems meaningless? These are the questions we're going we're to dig into and um, if you have your Bible, Philippians chapter 1 is what we're going to read today. And we'll also have the scripture on the screen, so don't worry if you don't have a Bible or an app. Um, the Apostle Paul traveled across the Roman Empire. He's the one that wrote Philippians. And he, he, he traveled and he planted churches. Paul's a church planter. He's telling people about Jesus. He's training up the next generation of leaders, preaching to crowds of people about Jesus. So you can picture Paul's life. He's living out God's calling. Get it led him to a prison cell. Which would be like having an, uh, an athlete. I, I mean, I hate to see this when athletes have a career-ending injury. You know, like, that was their whole life. I mean, to be, especially like a professional or even a college athlete, I mean, they work so hard. Their life is about the sport. And then they have a career-ending injury. And then it's like, well, what do I do now? That was my life. And so... You can imagine that Paul, being this traveling apostle, then being chained in a prison cell, would probably have a moment like that, right? He's chained to this prison guard all hours of the day. Instead of preaching to crowds, he's got this one imperial soldier that's chained to him who doesn't want to be there, and maybe he can tell him about Jesus. You know, like, it's like um, he's got no privacy, no freedom, You can just imagine how depressing, demoralizing, and hopeless that that feels. Paul didn't want to be here, needless to say. Paul did not envision his life like this. Paul's perspective would have seemed like a waste. Like, Paul is being so successful, planting churches and and spreading the gospel. Why wouldn't Paul sit and ask, God, why did you chain me up? I'm like, your best evangelist. Like, you know, like, God, why would you put me in a prison? Um, and we're going to read Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Because what we read is not someone who is depressed, not someone who is without hope, that was without joy. 
Um, but we see someone full of joy and full of purpose. Read with me now. Let's read in, um, starting in verse 12, Philippians chapter 1. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Because of this, I rejoice. So Paul loves the church in Philippi. He loves this church. And one of the reasons he's writing to the Philippians is because he wants to reassure them, like, hey, don't worry. He wants to acknowledge that, like, I know you're worried about me, but I'm still carrying out the mission. I'm still living for Jesus, even in this prison. And that it actually is turning out for good, that God is using this for his good. Let's look back at verse 12. What has happened to me is actually served to advance the gospel. Why? Because in verse 13, we read that a whole this whole pack of imperial guards knows about Jesus. These hard, these hard Roman soldiers, these cold soldiers, have fallen in love with Jesus. Isn't that, that, that is incredible. And that God has used this bad situation um, to spread the gospel. And, and that there were people, he goes on to talk about in verse 14, that there are people who are hearing about this because this is so incredible. This is a miracle happening in prison that people are bold, are emboldened by that, and they want to share the gospel with others as well, and they want to live out their faith. So Paul would never have imagined or planned uh, for that to happen. He wouldn't have thought, you know, when he's setting out to spread the good news, to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, as Jesus has, had said. Um, he got he wouldn't have been like, you know what? The best way for me to do this is I'm going to get locked up. I'm going to tell a bunch of prison guards about Jesus. I'm going to write some letters to some churches. Yeah, they'll probably read these for thousands of years to come, and I'm going to encourage all these like Christ followers. How would he have known that? Like, There's no way that he would have known that. We know that now, but he wouldn't have known that then. Not only is he chained 24-7 to the, to the prison guards, but there's something else going on that we read in verses 15 to 18. We read that there's people going around who don't care about Jesus, but they're telling people about Jesus rising from the dead and that he is now king and Jesus is risen. Their motive isn't to spread the gospel, though. Their motive is like, well, this, this guy Paul is so crazy telling people that the king now is some Jewish guy who died and rose from the dead. Let's go tell everyone that so that they think he's crazy and they keep him in, we keep him in prison, right? It's like, it's like let's, let's make him look so bad and drag his name through the mud so that he stays in there. And Paul's like, joke's on you, man. Like, you're telling people about Jesus. That's what I would be doing if I was out there. And so he's saying as long as, as, long as Christ is made known, it doesn't matter what happens to me. 
Let's continue reading in verse 18. So yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now and as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says, for me, in verse 21, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I don't know. Verse 23, I am torn between the two. I desire to, to depart with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in, in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. As we read this passage, it's clear that, this, that Paul, despite his circumstances, is full of joy. Despite his circumstances, he is full of hope. Despite his circumstances, his mission and his calling has not changed. What seem like problems, being chained to a guard 24-7 with no freedom, people actively working to tarnish you in your name, these, these big problems Paul sees as opportunities. Paul was able to rise above the circumstances. See, Paul has this kingdom perspective. He has a perspective of something that's greater than himself, that's greater than this world. Paul chose not to focus on the suffering, not the fact that he is not in these ideal circumstances, but the opportunities that God has put around him. And how does he do that? Why does he do that? Verse 21. For me to live is Christ, Paul says. Paul's saying the problem is not your circumstances. Your problem is not that your life turned out differently than you thought. The problem is what, what are you living for? Paul says, you know what life is about for me? It's about living for Jesus. The bottom line of Paul's life is Jesus. He says, you can take everything from me. You can take everything, but you cannot take Jesus away from me. And you cannot take away the mission that he has sent me on. He says, because my, my life, his life, is not about his kingdom, but God's kingdom. He didn't know why he was in prison, but he has this confidence that God can use his chains to accomplish the mission. And that's why his letter to, to the church in Philippi is full of hope despite his imprisonment, despite the fact that he may die tomorrow. He had no idea if he would die tomorrow or live another 20 years. For Paul, living out his calling on his life didn't lead him to where he thought. He never lost his kingdom perspective, though. Paul didn't want to be there. He was suffering, but God still produced good in the midst of it. All of us, all of us here, find ourselves in situations that we don't want to be in. We've all experienced suffering. 
But what if we choose hope? What if we choose, like Paul, to have a kingdom perspective, to have a perspective that's greater than ourselves? What if we surrender our plans, our idea of what is best, our desires, our suffering to Jesus? What if in the midst of our worst circumstances that we saw opportunities for God's kingdom to be advanced, for God to be glorified? Might not make sense to us. It probably won't make sense to us. That's why it requires trust. It requires faith. So what are the situations that you're in? Where do you not want to be? What are you facing right now that's not ideal, not by far? You didn't envision it, envision it this way, and you, and you find yourself in situations that just seem hopeless. Maybe it's your job. Maybe you are not in your dream job. You want to have a career full of meaning and purpose, but you just feel like your job is mundane. You feel like your job is meaningless. You don't feel like it's doing much. There's a hostile work environment that makes you dread going to work. And it's hard to find the hope to be full of joy doing and working at your job. And the question of like, how can God use your job for his kingdom is just like, no, there's, no, God, God's not in the midst of, of, of my workplace. God can't be here. This is meaningless. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe sometimes you don't want to be you. You aren't the person you thought you'd be. You made mistakes and you haven't really forgiven yourself for those. You look in the mirror, you cannot recognize yourself. You've given up hope. Maybe because the brokenness and sin of someone else that you've been hurt. You have experienced suffering because of someone else. You say, why did God let this happen? Why did this have to happen to me? Maybe your relationship isn't what you thought it would be. Maybe your marriage isn't what you thought it would be. A friendship, your family. And in these relationships, you've lost hope. You've lost your joy. Maybe you've lost someone. Maybe you've endured the pain of losing a friend, a parent, a grandmother, a grandfather, a spouse, a child, a brother, a sister. You didn't want this to happen. You didn't see it happening this way. In the midst of the loss, you say, where's God? Why did this happen? What is it for you? Maybe it's one of those things. Maybe it's something else. No matter how big nor how small. What are you, situation are you facing that seems hopeless? What situation are you in that you don't want to be in? The good news is that there is hope. Last weekend is Easter, was Easter. We were reminded that God is not dead, but God is alive. That we serve a risen Jesus who gave everything for us. We serve a God who loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. I want to look real quick 
John chapter 17, verse 19, Jesus says to his disciples, for them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. You know what that means? Jesus is saying, I live for them. For my disciples, I live for them. I set myself apart for them so that they may be made whole. I set myself apart to see them saved, to see them rescued from their chains. Jesus is saying, the only reason I ever came, that I'm here, the reason for everything I did, the reason for my death, the reason for what I'm now doing in heaven is for you, is for your sake. You see, Paul said, for me to live is Christ. But before Paul said that, Jesus said, for me to live is you. Jesus said, for me to live is you. Because of that, Paul can say, for me to live is Christ. Because if Jesus is willing to do anything to have you with him, not because you've earned it or deserve it, but because he wants you, not what you can do, not what you have to offer him, He just wants you for you. He wants all of you. So for us to say yes to that, we have to give him everything. We have to say, okay, Jesus, if for you to live is me, then for me to live is you. Paul lost his career. But Paul's life wasn't his career. Paul's life was Jesus. And when you've made that decision for Jesus, nothing can rob you of your joy. When we've made that decision, our lives are not defined by our circumstances, but by Jesus and his mission. Our joy comes from Jesus. Our joy can only come from Jesus. Otherwise, we, we're stuck in this roller coaster of happiness, and happiness is just about what's happening. You know? That comes and goes. What made us happy once upon a time doesn't make us happy anymore. We, we want more of that, right? And it's po- not possible. When we make our lives about Jesus and his mission and have a kingdom perspective, then we're able to love God, love others, and make Christ known despite our circumstances. Now, I want to share with you a couple stories, true stories, about what this looks like today. There's a woman, her name is Isabel. She was born and raised in Chile. She trained and got her credentials to be a family counselor in Chile. She eventually immigrated to the U.S. with her American husband, awaiting the birth of their son. She soon discovered that her professional credentials from Chile weren't recognized in the U.S., that all of her education went to waste. Her dreams of caring for families through counseling seemed lost. Her husband was struggling to find work. Eventually, Isabel found a full-time job as a house cleaner. Needless to say, Isabel did not expect to be here. But you see, Isabel had a kingdom perspective. And even though that she put all of this time into becoming a family counselor and she dreamed of this and she thought she was born for this and called to be this, 
But that didn't turn out the way that she thought. I want to read you a quote of hers. She was interviewed at a Christian conference a few years back. This is a few years after she moved to the U.S. She says, If you look in the book of Genesis, in the beginning the world is in darkness. There is no order. God is a God of order. He orders every single life, changes every life from darkness to light in Jesus. And that is my motivation, Isabel says. She says, my, that is my motivation as I work. Everything I do is for God and from God. It's not from man. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, and we are to do the same. Be a servant with love. She says, if I'm cleaning a toilet, this is her quote, if I'm cleaning a toilet, well, that is something that needs to be done to order the world, to wash the feet of others. There's no sadness about that. It's joy. She goes on to say that she prays for every home she cleans, that she sees brokenness in every family, in every home that she enters, and she prays for them. And she says, she says God, if it is your will that you use me to tell them about Jesus, then fine. But if not, I know you'll send someone else. When she's not with her family, or she's working, when she's not doing any of those things, she's volunteering with an organization that helps serve Latin American women, that help serve women like her, who come to this country, and it's not what they thought it would be, and they're in desperate need of hope, in desperate need of a Savior. In Isabel's story, you can see the gospel story, a life full of meaning and purpose. Isabel has a kingdom perspective, which allows her to live out Jesus' command to love God and love others. Even in the situation she did not want to be in. So now I ask you, and we must all ask ourselves, how can we love God and love others when we find ourselves in situations we don't want to be in? Whatever situation you thought of, whatever you're going through right now, how can you love your neighbor through that? like Isabel did. Second story I want to share with you. Monty Williams is an NBA coach for a number of years. 2016, his wife, who's 44 years old, was killed in a head-on car accident. The other driver was going 92 miles an hour in a 40-mile-an-hour zone. This other driver crossed the center line, hit Monty's wife head-on. Three of their kids were in the car as well. Ingrid, his wife, she passed away immediately. And her three three kids survived with serious injuries. So there's Monty, this NBA coach who'd lost his wife of 20 years. Left with five children. Needless to say, Monty found himself in a situation that he never thought he'd be in. One, he didn't want, he didn't ask for this. He never dreamt that this would happen. I want to read you a quote from when he spoke at her her funeral a week later. What we've gone through is pretty tough, and it's hard. And we want an answer. We don't always get the answer that we want when we want it. But we can't lose sight of the fact that God loves us, and that That's what my wife and that's what I try to exhibit on a daily basis. That God loves me so much that he sent his son to die for my sins. He said, God will work this out. My wife is in heaven. God is love. 
And when we walk away from the play, this place today, let's celebrate because my wife is where we all need to be. And I'm envious of that. We didn't lose my wife. He said, when you lose something, you can't find it. I know exactly where my wife is, and I'm going to miss her. But let's not lose sight of what's important. God is important. What Christ did on the cross is important. Monty talked in, his, in the eulogy, he talks deeply about this pain that he's experiencing and the love that he has for his wife. But he also talks deep, this deep abiding love for Christ. See, Monty has a kingdom perspective. His, circumstance, his circumstances did not define him, but his love for Christ is what defined him. In the midst of tragedy, Christ was made known. Christ was glorified. Players, coaches witnessed the gospel through Monty's suffering. A miracle. God at work. You see, Monty had this kingdom perspective, and he was able to make Christ known even in a situation he didn't want to be in. So for Paul and for Isabel and for Monty, they had this kingdom perspective. They made their lives about living for Jesus. And we, when we make Jesus our bottom line, and we trust him fully, then God can use our circumstances even when we're suffering. And when we accept Christ, and Christ is our bottom line, our joy comes not from our circumstances, not from what we're going through, not from our failed expectations or our failed plans or the tragedies that strike our lives. But our life and our joy comes from the mission of God. God's mission is to transform everything. This isn't how it's supposed to be. And God is working everywhere to redeem and restore this world, to bring heaven on earth. And he calls us to be a part of that kingdom work. Even in the job that we don't want or the situation we don't want or the relationship that we don't want, God says, I want to transform everything and I need you. I want you to be a part of that. God is bigger than our suffering. Amen to that. So I'm going to invite the, the band to come up here in a second. And um, they're going to sing a couple songs. And um, the first song they're going to sing is called Miracles. And I love this song. Um, I think from what we've heard today that... Um, I want, <laughs> let this be our declaration that we believe that God can work miracles in our suffering. That God is at work, that miracles are happening. And that, that we believe and we want to be a part of that. And so if, if during this time, if you want to go to the cross and put a prayer request on the cross, I encourage you to do that. I also encourage you, if you want to go to the cross and you want to write a cert, something that you're going through, some kind of suffering, and just lay it at the feet of Jesus. Say, God, I give, I give this situation to you, and I encourage you to do that. Maybe you want to go to the cross and write, for me to live is Christ. 
And maybe this is a time where you refocus your life on what you're really living for. You say, I want to live for you, Jesus. Maybe you've never made that decision before. Maybe today is the first time you say, God, I want to live for you. I want my bottom line of my life to be about you. And I encourage you to go to the cross and you write, for me to live is Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being a um, gracious and loving God, for being um, a God who never leaves us, for a God who always has our best interest at heart, for a God um, who is working even in the midst of our suffering, God. So God, I pray that, um, I pray for everyone in this room, I pray that we just give over our suffering to you, God, our unmet expectations we give to you, God. And I pray that you open our eyes to see how you see things, God, to see your kingdom, to see the work around us that needs to be done, to see a neighbor that needs to be loved, and to spread the gospel, God, to spread your good news. We love you, Father. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.